Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have an opportunity uh, now to uh, talk with Senator Brent Hill, uh, retired from the Idaho State Senate. Uh, There's an event coming up, a conversation about civil discourse. Neil Abercrombie, USU Vice President for Government Relations, will facilitate a conversation with Brent Hill, the Next Generation Program Director for the uh, National Institute for Civil Discourse. Uh, Brent Hill retired from the state legislature in Idaho, as I mentioned, 2020 after serving 19 years, uh, 10 years as president pro tempore, the highest ranking member of Idaho State Senate. Uh, Brent Hill is an Aggie. He earned a bachelor's in accounting, frequently contributes to newspapers and other publications, and is the author of the book A Matter of Principle, which explores the fundamental ideals that guided America's founders. And uh, that event is Monday at 4 o'clock at the David B. Haight Center on the USU uh, campus, uh, free and open to uh, to the public. Uh, Senator Hill, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Nice to be here. Good to be with you. Uh, tell us, first of all, uh, what the National Institute for Civil Discourse is. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, it's an organization is actually sponsored by the University of Arizona, but our offices are located in Washington, D.C., uh, it started uh, 10 years ago uh, when uh, Congresswoman Gaffey Giffords uh, had that event where she was shot and several people were shot. I think uh, about five were killed in a town hall meeting. And uh, she'd been having conversations with the university about putting together some kind of a program to study uh, civil discourse, particularly in the political arena. And uh, out of that grew this. Our, our founding uh, our, our founding co-chairs were uh, President H.W. Uh, Bush and uh, President Bill Clinton. So, uh, And we have a, a, a big board of directors with a lot of national figures there. So that's kind of where it grew from. Well, that's, a, that's a pretty stark event, of course, to precipitate this, the shooting of uh, Gabby Giffords. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what, tell me a little bit about, about your background. Did you grow up in Idaho? Did grow up in Idaho. Um, uh, uh, lived uh, lived in Rexburg, Idaho, for the, for most of my life, and uh, for the last uh, uh, forty five years uh, we're there. Uh, uh, but we just recently moved to Layton, Utah, to be closer to grandchildren. So uh, we're uh, uh, we're getting a little bit closer to Logan here. Yeah, well, uh, very good. And that's a, that's a great reason to move, right? <laughs> Close to grandkids. It certainly is. Yeah, <laughs> the only reason uh, probably that uh, would get us to uproot ourselves, uh, but uh, we love it here, and uh, my wife grew up in Logan, so uh, uh, we, we love the whole area here. Yeah, and you're, uh, you're an alum, a USU alum, right? Yes, yes, yeah. certainly. Yeah, am. wonderful. Uh, so your background's in accounting. Um, what, what, what took you to politics? <laughs> well, I've always been fascinated with politics, uh, uh, but I was uh, kind of shy to get into that and, uh, you know, was trying to build my own practice in accounting and stuff like that. And uh, So uh, I, I was, uh, you know, a little after 50 by the time I, I got started into it. But, uh, you know, you just want to make a difference. I think all of us have a yearning to serve our friends and neighbors in one way or another. I felt like I had uh, some abilities, particularly from my accounting background. Uh, you know, I think we could use a few more accountants in, in our state legislatures, quite frankly. Uh, we deal with a lot with tax policy and budgets and so forth. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I actually got appointed by the governor when uh, the previous uh, senator resigned from our district and uh, found out I really did like it. So, uh, you know, kept running for reelection and kept getting reelected. What was that first campaign like? I could imagine uh, maybe some trepidation. Politics can be pretty rough. 
Yeah, it can. And I think in many ways it has gotten rougher over the years, particularly in campaigns. Uh, they're, uh, they're more, um, I don't know, they're just meaner than they used to be. Uh, but even, you know, all through our history, uh, campaigns have been a difficult thing. It's difficult sometimes to, uh, uh, to get up and, and, uh, uh, you know, debate against uh, someone who you might be serving with uh, down the road. Uh, but uh, but I think that's the whole issue of civility is that we can disagree. We can debate issues. We can uh, we can learn from one another and so forth, uh, you know, without attacking each other personally. And uh, unfortunately, many campaigns go to personal attacks. But uh, but most uh, most most I only I didn't have an opponent that often. But when I did, uh, you know, they were they were good campaigns, and and uh, I appreciated the way they acted during those. When you got to the uh, state senate, what what was that experience in the terms of uh, civility? I think you're a Republican. Did, did you have? Were you able to, you know, co-sponsor legislation with Democrats? Uh, you know, speak across the aisle, that kind of thing. You know, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't think it was that common uh, before I got there. I remember the first bill I sponsored uh, with one of my uh, Democrat friends, and uh, uh, you know, we, we didn't have any trouble in the Senate. But when it got over the House, there was some talk that well, you better take that person's name off if you want it to pass. Uh, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine uh, such an attitude, uh, and I wasn't willing to do that, and it ended up passing anyway. So. Uh, you know the threats uh, weren't made uh, made whole anyway. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I think one of the biggest surprises I had when I got in the legislature, which you know, like everyone else, my my impression of politicians comes from the same places. You know, talk radio and and uh, television programs, and uh, uh, you know, just none of them very good. And so I was going to go over and kind of clean up Boise. And I got over there, and I was pleasantly surprised to find there were a lot of good people who were serving in the legislature for the right reasons. Uh, they wanted to make make Idaho a better place to live and to, to raise our families and to do business. And that that was true regardless of what part of the state they came from or, or, or what party they belonged to. And so uh, I, I made some really good friends uh, in both parties and from all over the state. And uh, I, I think... Um, for the most part, uh, we do a pretty good job with that in, in most of the Western states, particularly. That's interesting that you, uh, I guess you had a certain perception, uh, I guess, from the media, uh, which was different from what you encountered in Boise. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I You know, the um, uh, the extremists, the, uh, the, the rabble-rousers, if you want to call it that, uh, in uh, uh, in politics, they're the they're the noisy ones. They're the ones who are uh, getting the most uh, attention uh, because they're so loud. And uh, what I found was most uh, most people are there for the right reason. Again, they 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 want to serve. They 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 want to work together. They believe in stability, and that's true around the world. I mean, not just in politics. Uh, most people are are kind and and. And, and good people, uh, and uh, but everyone, but you know, you have those few that are are, are very loud and uh, and attention getting, and uh, and we start thinking that you know the whole world is bad, or our whole country is bad, or all of our politics uh, are bad. But uh, I don't believe that's the case. I think it's a very small minority, actually. I want to follow up on that, but I want to ask you first. Um, in terms of civility, did did things change over the over your time, nineteen years, I think, in the Senate? <laughs> Yeah, uh, 
again, I think the uh, I think the, the the loud voices got louder and maybe even more numerous, uh, and uh, and uh, certainly have gotten a, a lot of attention. And and so yeah, I I, I think the campaigns, uh, most of the most of the uh, Tough campaigns are in the primary uh, in in states that are particularly one party or another. Uh, certainly true in in Utah and Idaho. Uh, the uh, the most difficult campaigns are at the primary level. And uh, and you know um, I, I found towards the end of my political career uh, being mis- misrepresented uh, by some groups. Uh, uh, I see even I see now uh, since I got out some personal attacks uh, towards my. Uh, uh, my successor, uh, you know, a billboard with his face on it, uh, you know, calling him to task and stuff like that. And, uh, again, I, I, I think we need to concentrate on the issues and try to work those out, uh, and, uh, and quit getting caught up in personal attacks and calling people names and, and labels that are derogatory and so forth. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's gotten, uh, uh, worse. I, I don't know. Uh, again, I still believe by far the majority of the people are not that way. But uh, but politics, not only by uh, politicians, but politics that uh, brings out the worst in a lot of people. Quite frankly, you mentioned bring out the best as well. Yeah, bring out the best as well. Uh, um, so you you mentioned you know, you're a student of American history, um, and you did mention earlier that you know, we've had periods where it's been pretty rough. Um, certainly in a rough period now. What what do you think of the causes? The, um, there, you know. You, oh, people... that's that is a, such a good question, and uh, you know, I wish I had one thing I could point to, and I mean, maybe we could, you know, attack that or or work on that. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, I, I read a poll the other day that uh, a majority, uh, quite a large majority, something like sixty-three percent of Americans believe that uh, social media has had a negative effect on on civility in our country. Uh, and that was true. Uh, they took it at different age groups, and that was true of every age group. Even the younger people believe that uh, uh, overall it has a more negative effect than a positive effect. Uh, it provides anonymity for some. It provides a, 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 a vehicle for uh, spreading uh, conspiracy theories and, uh, and, and uh, you know, ideas that are, that are, that are not uh, civil and not kind. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, I used to listen to a, a speech, uh, given by, uh, uh, some public servant. Uh, uh, now, now I watch it on online and, uh, and I, I have to also see a whole bunch of comments that are being made and hardly any of them are very nice. Uh, you know, they, they are people who are, uh, you know, again, uh, not looking at the issues, but trying to attack the person who's speaking. And so, uh, I think, uh, social media has something to do with it. I, uh, I think that, uh, uh, just the, the, the nature, uh, you know, COVID didn't help. Uh, people are, uh, for the, many people are frustrated. Uh, they're angry. Uh, it, uh, the whole issue with masks and vaccination turned into a huge political issue. And, uh, and people are very, uh, many people are very passionate, very emotional about those things. And as a result, uh, some people are not being civil about it. It's, again, instead of talking about the issue and, and maybe accepting other people's uh, points of view, uh, we, we have to, uh, you know, have to uh, attack other people. Uh, I, I, my son went into a, into a, uh, 
uh, a store in Wyoming uh, just uh, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, and somebody came up and started swearing at him and, and calling him names because he was wearing a mask in the store. And uh, so, you know, uh, I think it, it's a lot of things. Uh, some of our uh, some of our leaders and, and uh, you know, people like to point the finger at, uh, at uh, President Trump, but, uh, but many of our political leaders, uh, uh, again, have not set the proper example. Uh, when it comes to civility, even if we agree with uh, their philosophies and, and their ideologies, uh, uh, you know, we need, we need to expect more from our uh, from our political leaders and uh, at all levels, at the state, uh, federal, and, and local levels, uh, to set the example. Um, that's part of our job too, I believe. Some would say that uh, you know the object is to win. If you want to implement your program, you have to win, mm-hmm. and that. These days, you know, uh, incivility, uh, brashness, in your face, that's what wins. What would you say to that? Well, it does sometimes. Uh, people can, uh, and whether that's winning a campaign or getting your way uh, in the legislature, some people have found uh, they can be somewhat successful by uh, uh, bullying, uh, by intimidation, by making threats. Uh, uh, there are people uh, like that, and, and there will always be uh, some people like that. I think that uh, uh, that when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, civility and winning, to do it on a consistently long-term basis, uh, that requires some relationships. Uh, our system is made so that no person can do something all by themselves. I, I could not pass a single bill by myself in the Idaho legislature. Uh, it takes relationships, and and to build relationships and uh, you know and trust over a long term, uh, you you, you got to treat people with respect. And uh, and so I think I think it's a matter of leadership. And if uh, and I think you can be a more effective leader. It's not it's it's more than just being nice. It's it's not that fluffy, uh, you know, kind uh, thing. It it is a matter of leadership. It's a matter of of engaging our differences and working out better solutions and discussing things so that you can uh, bring the discussion to a higher level and and look at uh, all the aspects of, of the problem and so forth. Uh, uh, I I think that it I think that in the long run we're going to uh, we're going to win. If, if uh, you know, getting things done is uh, part of winning, I think we're going to win better showing that kind of leadership than, uh, than a lower level of leadership that's uh, built on intimidation. Before we get into some solutions, uh, maybe just a couple more questions on the problem. Um, uh, yeah, I, I do think uh, most would agree, yes, that's the object, right, of, uh, leg- of sending a person to the, to the Congress or legislature. Uh, get things done on behalf of the people, right? But uh, it seems like there's a growing number, of, at least on the national level, growing number of uh, Congress people, senators, who um, that, that seems like that that's not their goal. Their their goal is to is to posture and to <laughs> to become more popular. <laughs> well, uh, you know. Uh, again, uh, are we looking at uh, everybody, or are we looking with a, a, a smaller group? Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to speak at the national level because I haven't uh, served at that level. Uh, but um, uh, they are many who are getting the attention. But again, you've got you've got a lot of people that are 
uh, want to work together in a civil way. We have we, we put together, and, and I'm not sure I'll, I'll remember the, the name of the organization, but it's it, it's a group of state legislators who are, who are interested in civil governance. And, uh, and we have over a thousand members uh, across the nation in, in that group. Uh, people who have, who have, uh, gone to workshops that we have presented through the National Institute of Civil Discourse and uh, who have committed themselves to, uh, uh, to working in a respectful, uh, uh constructive way with, uh, with people uh, of all parties across, you know, the, the contention isn't just a partisan contention. Uh, it's sometimes between the House and the Senate. It's between the legislative branch and the executive branch. Uh, I mean, at, at all levels, and, and uh, the, you know, the, there needs to be that same kind of respect in order to get things done in a way that actually helps the people. And you're right. There are some that uh, are not committed to that. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, <laughs> some of those can be converted, uh, but some will always be that way. And, uh, and yet I think uh, there are a lot of, of, of good lawmakers out there uh, at all levels of government, who uh, who uh, you know are there to serve the people and know that they can be uh, better better servants of the people if they can get along with their with their colleagues. Uh, and of course, these uh, I assume these principles apply and problems exist as you made an allusion to. Not only politics, right? It's in it's in yeah. fa- it's in families. It's in towns. Yeah. And I don't know which came first, uh, but certainly the uh, the instability that we have seen at the political level, that creeps into our personal lives. It creeps into our families and into our businesses. Uh, and yet, those are the those are the places we we actually have more control over. And uh, and stability is it, it, like instability; it, it's contagious. And uh, and if if we can just change, uh, you know, the environment right around us. Uh, uh, in our workplace or in our families or whatever, uh, that, that's going to grow and, and go out. And uh, and again, if we get enough of us, uh, <laughs> I know sometimes I get accused of, you know, you guys, there's, it's such a big job out there. Uh, you're like the kid that's walking along the beach throwing the starfish in and looking down the beach and seeing thousands more starfish, uh, you know, but it makes a difference to the one starfish, you know. We've all heard that story, but that's kind of the way we, we feel sometimes that, uh, you know, we're never going to be able to, to solve this problem. But uh, but we can solve it, uh, you know, one one person at a time, one family at a time, and even one legislature at a time. And that's what that's what we do. Uh, that's uh, the program I'm over uh, the nas- uh, in the National Institute of Civil Discourse is the Next Generation Program. We go out to legislatures and we have workshops with them, uh, usually a half day or uh, just recently uh, we got back from uh, Georgia uh, where they were having some real problems uh, with uh, some voter legislation and so forth. Uh, they asked us to spend a whole day with some of their legislators. And uh, I I, I never get with a group of, of legislators like that uh, put together again from different from the House and the Senate from from both parties. I, I just wish that I could get the people to sit down and, and see these people that are really trying to work together. And and yeah, there were some uh, there were some contentious feelings at the beginning. Uh, one one uh, one guy called uh, a woman a communist, and she called him a racist. You know, and I said, well, you know, that's why we're here to talk about not calling each other names by by the end of the day those two uh, came to us and said they they wanted to help set up the civility caucus 
where people of both parties could get together on, on a weekly basis during their legislative session just to talk about the issues, not to, not to necessarily convert one, one another, but just to talk about the issues and make sure they understand where the other person is coming from, where the other group is coming from. And so I, I think there's uh, some success that can be had, but, um, but yeah, it, uh, it's not just at the political level. We, we, uh, during COVID, because uh, we didn't have to go in person, uh, we consented to doing several of these workshops uh, with other groups. Uh, we did it with a, a, a national uh, human resources group and uh, and did some for their chapters as well in different parts of the country. And uh, we are going up uh, to Idaho uh, next week to meet with 77 school superintendents. I mean, can you imagine any job worse right now than being a school superintendent mm, or school well. board member with uh, the incivility that's going on there? And um, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, not just in politics, but uh, in our everyday lives. But, but we have some control over that, and we can change particularly the environment right around us. Well, it's time for a break. Let's take a short break. Uh, we're talking with uh, Senator Brent Hill. He is a uh, former senator in Idaho. Uh, retired from the state legislature in 2020 after serving 19 years in the Idaho State Senate, 10 years as president pro tem. Um, and uh, he is a Utah State University alum, earned his bachelor's degree in accounting, frequently contributes to newspapers and other publications. Um, and uh, he is the next generation program director for the National Institute for Civil Discourse. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, so when we come back, uh, Senator Hill, I'll have you. D- Give me some definitions. You you made an allusion to the fact that this is civility is not just niceness. So we'll talk about that, and uh, and and the program, of course. Uh, that's uh, the the example you just gave uh, at, in Georgia is very very helpful. Uh, let's have more following this break. Spanish language programming on Utah Public Radio is brought to you in part by our members and the USU Office of Global Engagement. Fostering diversity, inclusion, and cultural awareness by supporting international students and scholars and facilitating study abroad opportunities. Information at globalengagement.usu.edu. Hi, I'm Frank Ordonez, White House correspondent for NPR. Having access to information serves as an equalizer. That is why UPR is introducing a 24-7 news, music, and community broadcast service for listeners who prefer connecting through programs available in Spanish. UPR Tres provides facts about health, education, and business heard in Spanish anytime, anywhere. Details at upr.org. Hey, it's Francis Lam, and this week we're talking about something near and dear to my heart, old-school Chinese-American food. Chef Lucas Sin talks about why it inspires his modern Chinese cooking, and we meet a very special Chinese restaurant family in Kansas City. It's coming up on The Splendid Table. Tune in Sunday at noon here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about civility, civil discourse on the program today. We're talking with Brent Hill, who is Next Generation Program Director for the National Institute for Civil Discourse. 
Um, and he'll be in conversation with Neil Abercrombie, USU Vice President for Government Relations. Um, that'll happen at Utah State University at the David B. Haight Center on Monday at 4 p.m. And everyone is welcome uh, to that uh, conversation. Uh, Brent Hill is author of a book, A Matter of Principle, which explores the fundamental ideals that guided America's founders. Um, so, uh, Brent Hill, uh, maybe a definition. You, you said uh, earlier in the program, civility is not just niceness. What, what is it? Well, let me tell you one more thing it's not, because <laughs> uh, that helps define it as well. Uh, it's not just niceness, but uh, it's also not an excuse to silence other points of view. Uh, you know, to shut down dissent. Uh, some people feel like, you know, you're not being civil if, if you're disagreeing, you know. And and uh, and I think particularly uh, sometimes people in the minority, whether that's politically or, or otherwise, uh, feel like uh, it's used as an excuse to, to stifle meaningful, meaningful discussion about contentious issues. Um, civility is, is, is all those things that everybody, you know, comes to mind. I mean, it's respect. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's listening to one another. It's, uh, it's learning from one another and, and, and those things. But, but to me, again, it's, it's a style of leadership and, and that goes whether it's in politics or in business or in your home. It, it's a matter. I mean, we have all had a person in our lives who inspired us, who, uh, thought we could accomplish more than we thought we could, and, uh, and uh, somebody who believed in us. And, um, and I think that's what civility is all about, uh, building one another up uh, and, uh, you know, not, not, not tearing one another down. Uh, it's, uh, it's engaging our differences, not, not trying to shut them down, but to, to talk about them and to, uh, and try to learn from one another and try to listen and try to understand, uh, one another. And, and with that leadership, again, come those relationships. Uh, it's, it's about getting things done to benefit our citizens and to do it more effectively. Uh, it, it, uh, civility helps us involve more people with diverse ideas and, and you bring in more resources. Again, that's going to lead to better solutions. Uh, and then not only that, you get buy-in. You know, somebody who leads through intimidation, uh, you know, uh, there's no buy-in by the follower. Uh, sometimes they may not even, uh, uh, they might even work behind the scenes to help make the person's uh, idea fail. And, and as soon as the intimidation is gone, then the loyalty is gone. So you just don't have that, that, that loyalty that you need to be successful on a long-term basis and, uh, and to help make other people successful. And, uh, and then, you know, I mean, there is an element of niceness. I mean, that is the kind of culture that we want to uh, nourish in our communities is a culture of civility, uh, certainly uh, not one of, uh, of meanness and contention. And so, um, I, you know, the word civility comes from the Latin root of, of the same words as, as civic and citizenship and civilization. I mean, all of those uh, draw a picture up in our, in, in our minds, and, and all of those are good things. All of those are people working together, citizenship, civic, civilization. It's, it's people working together. And again, I think civil, showing civility is the best way to get people to work with you. Does that make sense, Tom? That does, yes. Um, how important is, uh, I imagine trust would be important. I can imagine if, you know, uh, if you're, you know, you drop your fist and you go to hug the other guy, it's it's hard to do that if you think he's going to keep punching you in the nose. <laughs> that, is, 
That is true. Uh, and trust I, I, is a word I should have mentioned. That That is a big part of civility. In fact, I, I, I don't have that many quotes memorized, but uh, but one quote from Thomas Jefferson that uh, proves the point we're talking about here, Tom, he, he said, uh, and I think I can get this right, civility is not a tactic or a sentiment. In other words, it's not just being nice. He, he goes on to say, it is the determined choice of trust over cynicism of community over chaos, if I, if I got that close to right. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it is a matter of trust. And how do you gain trust with with people, with other people outside of politics, uh, I think you do it by getting to know them. Uh, you you build a relationship, and uh, and one of the things we do in these workshops is we bring uh, legislators together in small groups from diverse backgrounds and diverse parties, and uh, and we spend some time. And it sounds kind of mushy and corny in a way, but we spend some time letting them talk about their personal journey, uh, not why they got into politics, but uh, but what. What's something in their life that changed their life or changed their outlook or, or, or their direction in life? And, you know, as you listen and gain understanding, um, you, you develop a certain amount of empathy and, uh, and maybe even a certain bond there that comes with it. And, uh, and you know, one of, my, one of our dear friends in, in the Idaho legislature is, is Michelle Stennett. Uh, she is the uh, leader in the Senate uh, of the Democratic Party. She's the majority leader, a minority leader there. Uh, you know, you'd think that she was uh, she would be the worst enemy. Uh, she, she's a dear friend. She's a very good friend with my wife. I could not get up in you know on a, in a forum like this or in, on a television news release or something and badmouth uh, Senator Stennett. Uh, she's a friend. Uh, I uh, you know. As you get to know people that they that they are parents, that they are grandparents, that they uh, they care about the same things as as we care about, uh, they care about uh, uh, you know family, they care about education, they care about healthcare. We all care about this, you know. Uh, we all have so much in common, uh, and then we we seem to you know incivility. We dwell so much on our differences instead of looking at what we have in common. We may have different ideas on how to achieve those goals, but we all have basically the same goals. And, uh, and if, we can, if we can go in and, and find that common ground, regardless of how narrow that real estate might be, uh, it gives us our starting point. And then we can go from there, and then we can talk uh, in, uh, in civil, uh, respectful way uh, to find solutions, uh, even though we may disagree on some of those solutions. Uh, tell me about, about your w- workshops. Um, is this mostly with, you, you mentioned it wasn't just legislatures, although you go to legislatures. Um, what, are, um, what, what are some of the things you do in the workshops that maybe we could apply? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. We, this was uh, designed for legislatures uh, by legislators. Uh, we have 45 trained facilitators across the nation who go in with us and uh, and help us uh, facilitate these these legislative workshops? Now these are busy folks. These these are either current legislators or or, or former legislators. Uh, all of them are, and and yet they're they're volunteering their time, you know, to get on a plane and go somewhere else and spend and spend a day or a half a day uh, with other people and and talk about this issue that's really important to them to have. Uh, to be able to develop uh, civil discourse, uh, particularly in the in the political arena, and so uh, 
we we take them with us and uh, and 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 we go and and we meet. Uh, sometimes it might be a bunch of freshmen uh, legislators uh, who uh, you know in their. Uh, orientation at the, after election year or something like that. Sometimes it's the entire legislature. Sometimes it's just the Senate or just, just the House. Uh, it, it's whatever they want. We do it at no charge to them. Uh, and uh, uh, these uh, these facilitators, like I said, uh, they're all volunteers. Uh, so they're not getting paid anything to do it. And we go there. And and first of all, we talk about the importance of civility. It's some of the things that, that you and I have been talking about, Tommy. Why is it important? Uh, uh, why is it an uh, important factor of leadership? Uh, and why is it better than intimidation in uh, in being able to find solutions and get things done? Uh, then we go in and... and uh, and we go through this personal journey. We break into smaller groups, no, no, no bigger groups than 20 people, and and uh, give people a chance to share their personal journey and see what we can learn from each other and, and how we can get better um, identified with one another. And then we talk about, well, what are what are the problems that we're facing as far as civility uh, in our body, uh, uh, you know, in, in in our state, you know, whatever whatever group we're talking about there. What are what are the problems? Let's define the problems, then let's look at, uh, you know, what's causing those problems? Uh, and what opportunities do we have to go in and resolve some of those things? And uh, and then we come up with an action plan. Uh, they come up with an action plan. We don't come up with it. Uh, but um, that action plan, uh, you know, are specific things that they can do to help improve uh, civility. Uh, like I said, uh, Georgia, for instance, um, um, uh, they, they, they talked about um, uh, a, a civility caucus that they wanted to put together. They wanted to get their leadership involved, uh, and, uh, and uh, they wanted to even, when they weren't in session, they wanted to get on a Zoom call once a month again just to talk to issues and, and stay acquainted with one another. Uh, we've seen states that uh, have uh, actually changed the seating in, the, in their house, uh, uh, where instead of having the Republicans on one side of the room and the Democrats on the other side of the room, they they, they mix it all up uh, in the seating so that uh, there's more uh, interaction among them. Um, we we see uh, people doing little things like having uh, minority and majority leadership, uh, having uh, a social together before the session starts each year, uh, and uh, and just get to know each other on a, on a personal basis. Again, realizing that we're human beings with uh, a lot of the same uh, same goals and, and, and the same concerns. And so, um, you know, we let them come up with their action plan, and that's probably obviously the most important part is uh, is having a plan. And then we follow up with them to see how how they're doing on their plan. And uh, like I said, there are several states. Uh, uh, that um, uh, Kansas is another good example, which have, again has had some uh, real struggles. But uh, uh, they have put together a civility caucus, and uh, they have us come back uh, every year, every two years to do the workshops again. And uh, uh, they have new people, and uh, we all need to be reminded of how we should act. And so, uh, um, that, that, does that give you a little idea of, of what we go through? Yes, yes, definitely. Workshops? Uh, I'm curious is is there a pattern in terms of why legislatures reach out to you is a, a a point I guess where it has gotten particularly bad and they and they reach out or or maybe just to see the the climate in general and how we're so uh, invited 
I, I think second, the second thing at most, uh, the climate in general, uh, it's, it's word of mouth. Uh, I mean, um, uh, one legislature, uh, legislators get together at conferences and things like that, and, and somebody talked about uh, having us come in and, and how they felt like it helped and so forth, and then uh, somebody else calls us up to ask us about it, and, and, uh, and it kind of goes that way. Uh, Sometimes it comes from specific issues. Uh, we uh, during COVID we had a virtual uh, workshop with uh, some legislators from uh, Michigan. Uh, as you know, Michigan right after the election uh, had some uh, real concerns. Uh, their their governor had an assassination attempt on her. Uh, the leadership, uh, the Republican leadership, was invited to the White House to talk about having a special session to overturn the election in uh, in Michigan, and uh, which they decided not to do. And as a result, uh, uh, some of those legislative leaders have had death threats, not only against them, but against their family, their children. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just can get ugly out there. And, uh, and so part of, of what we do is not uh, just to... Uh, talk about how we can be more civil, but how we can de-escalate, uh, you know, uh, contentious uh, meetings and other things like that to, to try to help remind, uh, you know, our friends and, and colleagues that uh, they need to be more civil as well. I'll uh, point people to a, a good article, an interview with uh, Senator Hill at Utah State Magazine, utahstatemagazine.usu.edu, and just, uh, just a search for why are we so divided. I'll just uh, ask one of their questions verbatim. I thought this was excellent. Have you uh, found the response? I'll respo- give the same answer. Huh? Uh, yeah, but well, I'll I'll follow along here in the article. See if you give the same answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, this um, let's see if I can. Uh, uh, it's Jeff Hunter who uh, did the interview, so I don't want to give him uh, credit. Yes. Um, so, so so Jeff said, and I love this question. Uh, have you found the response different depending on the political climate in a particular state, whether it leans red or blue? Hmm. I don't know what I answered there, but uh, uh, I, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, again, we're dealing with uh, people across the board, and and in all of our in all of our workshops, we have both Democrats and Republicans in there. Now, it might be uh, you know loaded one way or the other, depending on whether the state's more red or more blue. But uh, but the issues are working together. It seems like uh, it seems like. Uh, uh, the Democratic states uh, uh, talk a little bit more about uh, feelings, about civility, uh, uh, and, uh, and and we probably have more invitations from uh, democratically controlled states than we do Republican. But again, we uh, Georgia that we just went to—that's Republican state as well as Michigan and and uh, Kansas and so forth—and and so uh, I, I think that in the end. They all come together with the same conclusions that we need to work together and we need to do it in a respectful, uh, trusting way with one another. And so the results are not that much different. The, the action plans that these groups come up with, uh, even though we let them uh, come up with them, we don't, we don't even give them suggestions there. Uh, they, they are very similar, uh, regardless of what state, uh, they are in. Uh, uh but, um, but again, th- th- there is a, a little bit different when you look at philosophies as a whole, maybe a little bit different uh, attitude towards uh, a civil discourse, uh, depending on uh, you know what state we're dealing with, certainly. Let's take another break. Uh, we're talking with Senator Brent Hill about civil discourse. 
And on Monday, Neil Abercrombie, USU Vice President for Government Relations, will facilitate a conversation with Brent Hill, uh, who is the Next Generation Program Director for the National Institute for Civil Discourse. Uh, that conversation will be at Utah State University in the David B. Hate Center on Monday, 4 p.m. Uh, Brent Hill retired from the state legislature in 2020, Idaho State Legislature, after serving for 19 years in the Idaho State Senate. And uh, we'll have more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from, pro- from our listeners and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984 covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. Support also comes from the Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce, presenting the Cache Business Women's Conference at the Riverwoods Conference Center, featuring Dr. Lindsay and Dr. Lexi Kite, co-authors of More Than a Body, Your Body is an Instrument, Not an Ornament, October 20th from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Information at cashchamber.com. Hi, I'm Natalie Gochner. I represent the Political Center. Join us for both sides of the aisle from KCPW, a weekly debate over politics, policy, and current issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices representing the right, the center, and the left. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing residents of this state while proving that Republicans and Democrats can sit in a small room and have a meaningful conversation. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're in conversation with Senator Brent Hill. We're talking about civil discourse. Uh, Brent Hill is the Next Generation Program Director for the National Institute for Civil Discourse. He'll be in conversation with Neil Abercrombie, USU Vice President for Government Relations uh, at uh, Utah State University at the David B. Haight Center. That'll be happening on Monday, 4 p.m., and it's free and open to the public. Uh, Brent Hill retired from the Idaho State Legislature in 2020 after serving 19 years in the Idaho State uh, Senate. Um, so, Senator Hill, um, I want to bring up uh, what some would consider to be, uh, you know, just intractable uh, difference. That's, uh, you know, the events of January 6th and uh, the preceding and anteceding assertion by former President uh, Trump that uh, he did not lose the election. In fact, there is massive voter fraud. That's a, that's a huge divide. Um, many Democrats, I think, would uh, say it's insuperable divided <laughs> no no coming back from that one um we still i guess we we still have to strive for civility right even though it seems like more and more division well that's that's true tom um, i mean we again we can di- disagree on uh, issues we can even disagree on the facts sometimes but uh but uh we, but we need to do it in a more respectful way than, than what many of us have seen, you know, on, on that issue as well as a lot of other issues. Uh, uh, you know, politics is a is an emotional thing for many of us. I mean, I've been a political junkie most of my life, and uh, and and it's an important, um, you know, it's important to our freedoms and and to our way of life, and and to those things that we hold dear. And so I. I I understand why we need to be emotional and, and why we need to be passionate about things, but that does not keep us from from treating other people with with kindness and respect. Uh, you know, we we uh, 
uh, we all find we all find disagreements in our relationships, whether that's with our spouses or our kids or our, uh, our parents or, or whatever it is. Uh, and uh, and sometimes I think we can look back and be proud of the way we handled those differences. Uh, sometimes we look back and uh, and uh, maybe we're a little bit embarrassed about it. I mean, I, I've, I've never I've never been proud of, of losing my temper. Uh, I've never been, uh, you know, patted myself on the back for putting someone else down. Uh, I have done it. I've done both of those things, but I, uh, I, I've always regretted it. And uh, and and I guess part of civility is uh, trying to think uh, about the consequences before uh, the action instead of waiting till afterwards and trying to repair a relationship or to uh, uh, to repair uh, feelings that uh, that have been hurt. You said earlier one of the one of the big factors in in civility, civil discourse, is just just simply getting to know each other, right? If we if if the more we know each other, the the harder it is to to be in civil. Uh, you you mentioned earlier in the program uh, social media and the selective uh, media selections, and we're we, we can certainly be in our own silos um, very easily uh, these days, which you know works against uh, really getting to know each other. I wonder how we counteract that. Well, that's a real good point, Tom. And when you ask, you know, what are some of the causes of uh, of the incivility we're experiencing today, uh, and that, that's another one that I should have mentioned. Uh, it's so easy, again, particularly with social media, to uh, to get in our own echo chambers, uh, and uh, and we we listen to news sources that agree with us. We uh, we. Uh, we we listen to blogs or or even uh, Facebook or social media. We, we we surround our people with people who think the way we do, and uh, and that's all we hear. And then uh, you know when we find somebody who thinks differently, we think oh they they, they must be uninformed or or they're uh, uh, or they're they're just evil. Uh, sometimes we vilify them to that point. And uh, when you look at this country, we uh, we're you know reasonably. Uh, the evenly divided when it comes to party politics and and uh, even some of these other issues and so i think one of the most important things for us to realize is that other moral reasonable people can come to a different conclusion than, than we do and uh and that's and it takes a, a, a respectful uh uh, civil uh, discourse in order to, to to understand those things. When uh, sometimes I, when I was in the legislature, I'd get asked, you know, how, uh, you know, what are some some things we can do uh, to uh, be more politically involved? And uh, one of the things I always told people: listen to the other side. I mean, don't listen to just one news source. Uh, don't uh, don't. We've all seen the the, the log, uh, logarithms and things like that. I mean, if you're in the conspiracy theories, uh, you know the internet's going to lead you right to to more conspiracy theories. Uh, if you're into civility, you know uh, when I pull up my computer, there's all kinds of links to, to things about civility. I mean, whatever your issue is, uh, whatever uh, gets you excited, uh, those are the things you follow. And 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 the internet is is set up to help you to get into those silos, as you put them. And so we have to break out of those ourselves. And that means engaging uh, people who think differently. We shouldn't be avoiding people who think differently than we do. We should, we should be engaging uh, them. Let them learn from us and let us learn from, from them. And, uh, uh, and that's going to make us more well-rounded. 
and and then you start to understand a little bit of why people think they do. Even if you don't agree with the conclusions they've come to, you understand that, that they are not evil people or uh, uh, they don't deserve our contempt uh, just because they think differently than we do. And so uh, you're absolutely right, uh, getting into those silos and thinking that everybody thinks the way we do, and if uh, we find a rare case where somebody thinks differently that uh, they're uninformed or, or just plain wrong, um, we, need, we need to get away from that. Well, we're at the end of our hour, a good place to end the conversation. We've been talking with Senator Brent Hill, uh, the, the topic of civil discourse. So Brent Hill is the Next Generation Program Director for the National Institute for Civil Discourse. And he'll be talking with uh, Neil Abercrombie, USU Vice President for Government Relations, at an event at the David B. Hate Center on the USU campus on Monday. The, uh, the event begins at 4 p.m. It's free and open to the public. And uh, Brent Hill uh, is author of a book, A Matter of Principle, which explores the fundamental ideals that guided America's founders. Uh, you can find the National Institute for Civil Discourse at uh, nicd.arizona.edu, nicd.arizona.edu. Senator Hill, uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Sure appreciate it. And uh, best wishes to you. Thanks for what you're doing. Uh, thanks for what you're doing. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. Many cultures, one sky. Skywatcher Leo T here as we look up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. Looking up into the night sky, up above, north and eastward, find the Big Dipper. That's kind of fun by itself. And with binoculars or a very dark sky, up above the Big Dipper crawls the lovely Draco the Dragon, one of the largest constellations in the sky, sporting many deep space jewels and a meteor shower of its own, the Draconids, that ended last week and then is transitioning right now into the Orionid meteor shower, which should fire 10 to 20 meteors at its peak. And that peak is before dawn of October 21st. And of course in the news, can't ignore it, Blue Origin launched William Shatner and a crew of three into suborbital space. That's right, Kirk went to space. My first reaction was, Kirk hasn't been to space yet? I thought he went out to that swirly blue and green planet with the Uhura and, you know, Sulu and stuff. Anyway, this marks the second time the Blue Origin has successfully launched a crewed suborbital mission on its vehicle for space tourism. That was unlike anything they described, Shatner said via radio link as the capsule parachuted back to Earth. Everybody in the world needs to do this. That was unbelievable. After an 11-minute flight during which the crew experienced about four minutes of weightlessness in outer space, the capsule safely delivered the crew back to Earth. Shatner is the first live Star Trek actor to fly in space. The ashes of several crew members have been sent into space, as well as Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. A big salute to Roddenberry, script writers, and crew for their vision echoing Apollo 11 of coming in peace and intending no harm to other cultures they encounter. Under the umbrella of commercial development of lower Earth orbit, we have to be careful not to exploit lower space orbit for unending commercialism, such as launching of thousands of satellites from Starlink and other hundreds of satellites launches from other countries. But enjoy the moment. Even further out, the Chinese rover on the far side of the moon discovers two billion-year-old rocks complementing the rocks unearthed, I mean unmooned, by the Apollo astronauts. Now that is historical. And Perseverance rover plans its next moves around an ancient lake on Mars. NASA's next asteroid-bound mission to explore the early days of the solar system is nearly ready to launch. The Lucy spacecraft is set to launch this Saturday for a 12-year journey to the outer solar system. And now let's take the Wayback Machine to 1928 and before. After decades of research, Percival Lowell, who along with other astronomers felt strongly that Planet X must exist out beyond Neptune, but died before he could find it. 
Clyde Tombaugh, who made his own sketches of Jupiter and Mars, landed a job at the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff. Tombaugh started searching for Planet X in the outer regions of the solar system in 1928. Tombaugh made photographic glass plates of selected areas of the night sky, comparing the plates for any movement against the background of stars. After 10 months, Tombaugh started to see faint movement against the background, and on March 13, 1930, he announced the discovery of the ninth planet. A schoolgirl later won a contest naming it Pluto. Clyde Tombaugh, well, his ashes were sent with the first space probe traveling 3 billion miles to Pluto in 2015. There is an area named after him, the Tombaugh Regio, and a large area of the Southern Hemisphere, and one named for Lowell as well. See the Skywatcher Lewati site for photos, a map, and resources for this program. Stay tuned for more discoveries from New Horizons as we delve into the asteroid belt even further, another billion miles or so. Let's see what we find. Enjoy the magic as we look up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T on UPR, with translator stations statewide and streaming live at upr.org. This week on This American Life. So you've probably heard about the huge number of people arriving at the border lately, but here's what you might not know. Many of the people smuggling them across the border are teenagers. Because when Border Patrol catches somebody under 18, they have to set them free again. This happens so often that at this point, the Border Patrol agents recognize the kids. The kids know the Border Patrol agents. We hang out with the teen smugglers this week. Saturday morning at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, statewide member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard online at upr.org and on the UPR app.